Is it recording now? One must not get one's knickers in a twist. I'm trying. These are the stories your granny never told. Clint Eastwood loved my apple pie. I was raising a cow and 50 sheep and two chicks. I slipped upon some spilled onions on the road and crashed my motorbike. Hi guys, it's Nikki, your host for the Stories Your Granny Never Told podcast. Coming back at you this month for a brand new episode. Stories Your Granny Never Told is a monthly podcast where I interview older folks about their unexpected life stories. And this month is no different. This month I get to talk to Lynn Ruth Miller, who's an 86-year-old comedian. And she's freaking hilarious. I mean, we talked for so long and we went on a few tangents and I think we got to about when she was 35 years old and we went way over time. So I had to ask her a bunch of questions at the end, but it's still really great. And I think you still get the whole picture. I will, however, put a little warning. We do for something like half of the episode talk in depth about eating disorder. So if that's something that you don't want to hear about, maybe just skip this one. Just a little notification at the top here. I'm running a giveaway for the brand new merch that I have, which is all the quotes the advice quotes from the grannies and grandpas of the previous episodes go head over to stories your granny never told on instagram and um you can find that post and comment and like and follow and share with all your friends and you can get a chance to win a cool mask or something or a t-shirt anyways without any further ado here is the interview with lynn ruth miller can we start out with your name what you would like me to call you and your age Okay, I'm Lynn Ruth Miller, and I like you to call me Lynn Ruth, and I am 86, almost 87. I'll be 87 in three three, three months, I think. Okay, congratulations. Uh, not even two months. All right, and so you are a comedian. I'm, a com I'm more than that. I'm a comedian. I'm a performer. I'm a storyteller. I'm a, a, a cabaret performer. I do burlesque. Oh man! Uh, I also write. My book just my book was just posted on Amazon today. Yeah, you have. A, oh, really? Congratulations! You have multiple books. Yeah, multiple. But this is the memoir. Oh wow! Oh, I have to read it. I'm excited. Well, if you if you like comedy, it tells yeah. pretty much how I formulate a set. It really right. is is uh, and in in the in advertising it we never put that in there. But I've got a whole chapter where I tell you just exactly how. What when what gets a laugh? Whether what to do when it doesn't? I I, I analyze a whole set for you. It's one whole chapter. And you have a lot of experience I, in that. I well, I started when I was seventy. I didn't start. It's not like comedy. Yeah. But how how did uh, things start out? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Toledo, Ohio, uh, and I majored in education. I have a great so deal of I have a great deal of education. And I was just talking to my wonderful friend from Florida oh. who said to me, and she's made a beautiful economic success of herself. She's very wealthy. Mm -hmm. I am not. And she said, I don't see the point of a lot of education. I don't think it teaches you anything. And I thought, oh my God, I've been through six universities. I have three advanced degrees. What kind of, and I'm trying to get a PhD. That's the next goal. I think oh, really? Right now? Money, all that money I wasted. Because she, well, she has a lot more street smarts than I do. And I'm sure you do it because more, you enjoy it. a lot more sex than I am as well. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I'm sure you'd go through all this education because you enjoy it. I actually just got my PhD like three months ago. So oh, in you, what? Uh, in biology. In biology. That's interesting. I want to do it. Actually, I'd like to do it in some form of theater. Oh. But it's about ageism. I believe that we get our concept of what age is like from what we see in the media. Oh, oh, absolutely. And I want to destroy that. <laughs> That's one of the reasons I'm doing this podcast is because like in the street, if you see a little old granny like hunched over with her cane, you think like, oh, she's innocent. And then you don't realize that that's a person and she has great stories and she probably punched a Nazi in the face back in the day. And you would have never known if you didn't might do it today as well. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> I cannot stand people being patronizing to me. And I and I see it all the time. I'll yeah. be, I'll be it's a reflex in a group and I will uh, I'll give an opinion and everyone will smile and totally ignore it. Mm -hmm. So on top of being a woman, being an older woman, is just doubles it, I'm it's sure. It's been absolute hell. But I never realized how much of it was due to ageism and sexism. Because what you do, and this is for most of us in the profession, is you think, well, I guess I'm just not good enough. Yeah, you internalize it and, and turn it into sort of an imposter syndrome when yeah. it's actually a societal problem. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Uh, being a woman in science, it, it happens a lot. <laughs> well, well, if we're in science, you would know that everything in gerontology is spent on how to get them well and prevent sickness. That has, yeah. That's what it should be. It should be in how to give them options for a full life. If mm -hmm. when I turned 65, all I did is take the pension that I got and go out and play and do golf and, and that's, that's waiting to die. I don't mm -hmm. want to do that. I got all the play in that I needed when I was five and six. <laughs> I want purposeful living and I have very purposeful living. So when you, when you were younger, so you grew up in the States and then you decided to uh, pursue oh, a bunch of States till I was 80. Okay. Okay. So you've lived almost your whole life in the States right? and you, you went to a bunch of universities. Was it just because you enjoyed learning in general or you couldn't decide what you wanted to do? Oh, I always knew what I wanted to do. You have to think about the mindset was then. Uh, this mm. is the 30s, right. uh, where women women never expected to work for the rest of their lives. Mm -hmm. You were supported by your husband. So the first uh, 20 years was looking for a husband uh, and not finding one. And then, uh, uh, so I, so when I got a degree, I, one of the people always say, do you regret anything? And I always say, no, but there is one thing I regret. I regret that my mindset would not permit me to major in what I loved, which at that time would have been creative writing. Mm -hmm. I was a writer. I've been a writer since I was 10. Oh, wow. That, yeah, that would have changed really the whole life. But you had to earn a living and you had a, what you thought of then, this is in uh, the late 40s, mm. is to get an interim job, not for life, till you married. And uh -huh. then you probably work for a couple years to, uh, to accumulate money while he was establishing himself. So mm -hmm. you figure, um, what do you train for? They're only going to do for about five years. And so I trained to be an elementary school teacher. I didn't train for that. I trained to be a kindergarten teacher. Huh. But I got my job as an elementary school, which is another mistake. But I, I understand why I made that one. 
Yeah, yeah that's an interesting prospect to say like, okay, you're going to have a job for five years. So just pick something and then whatever, it doesn't matter. And I happen to love children. I wanted children and I, and I had been doing daycare since I was 14. So this mm -hmm. was a natural for me. I want to do kindergarten, not yeah. grade school, but as uh, the story of my, well, if you should get my book, <laughs> yeah. uh, it's got that in there. Uh, but uh, the job that uh, when I graduated, I seem to have a knack for graduating when the, when the profession I'm trying to graduate in is blooded at this <laughs> time, uh, they didn't want kindergarten teachers, which is what I wanted to do. I never, ever wanted to teach a subject ever, but I had to support myself. Yeah. I didn't have a husband and I didn't have a relationship when I graduated from Michigan. And even then when the, the sort of women workforce was happening in America because the men were like off to war, they didn't sort of think about future careers for women? No, they couldn't wait to get out of the factories and back in the home. Okay. I, it was a shame because a, a lot could, more could have happened then. Mm -hmm. And, and mm -hmm. you probably don't remember any of this. There was a woman named Veronica Lake who was very popular, who wore her hair draped over one eye. Mm -hmm. And all the women in America wanted to be beautiful like Veronica Lake, so they let their hair grow up. And when they worked in the factories, they got it caught in the machinery. Ooh. So Veronica Lake did a wonderful thing for the war effort. I still remember she cut her hair. And she <laughs> her hair. Uh, yeah, and we had Rosie the Riveter. Um, yes. And, and uh, but that was when I was a child. Uh, okay. But but so there was no interruption that did not change my sense that I wanted to um, I wanted to get married and have children. That was what little girls wanted, and I yep. wanted it. And mm -hmm. I uh, did not have a happy childhood. I had a, a miserable childhood. Uh, but however, I did not have a um, uh, monetarily. I was not monetarily deprived. Uh, we, okay. My father was wealthy. Um, in that sense, I was privileged. Um, but I had a very, very turbulent childhood. And I was determined to do it better. Of course. <laughs> going to do it better. Um, and I was very progressive. People don't know about the University of Michigan, but they're learning now because Sasha, who is uh, uh, Obama's kid, is yeah. going to the University of Michigan. So now they know it's an amazingly great school, but nobody knew about it. I went to undergraduate there. Um, and and, um, <laughs> and Michigan is very, very avant-garde and very, very progressive. Uh, but even so, and I was very progressive. I mean, I wanted to live on a farm where my children would have, instead of a swing, we'd have a tire that they would swing, you know? <laughs> we would make our own, we'd grow our own food and we'd make, we'd bake together and we'd make our own entertainment. And I would, you know, if I would have actually- Sounds great. Life, yeah, if I would have gotten that life, I would have killed myself. But that was <laughs> what I wanted. I didn't realize that I am a product of a decadent age. Oh, um, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, that's what I wanted. And I, and I wanted, you know, and, and when I would talk about what I wanted uh, of, of, with my life, you could almost hear the violins playing. <laughs> and um, thank God I didn't get it. I've always said that uh, not one single dream that I had came true. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> that's uh, a really good way of looking at things. And it's really true. It's really true. Uh, I have... I have the most beautiful life right now. That's great. It so is. after you went to become a teacher, how what happened after that? 
I found a husband. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> so you always wanted to do it, and then you finally found one. I've, I've actually found two. I found a husband. <laughs> we married. He went to Harvard Business School. Um, I helped pay the tuition. I taught. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what we did. Okay. Graduated. Uh, he was also, uh, I went to undergraduate University of Michigan. I knew him from Michigan. Okay. Um, and then we moved back to Toledo, Ohio, which I still can't get through my head. <laughs> Why I know, I know, which is something that would be very foreign to you. We did it because he wanted to. You have to understand that you belong to your husband. But yeah, you just do what they said. He wanted to when he was from New York is beyond me, but he did. Oh, and yeah. uh, we moved back to Toledo, Ohio. And then I think we were there three months and then he left. Uh, and I also had a very severe eating disorder. Hmm. I had anorexia and bulimia. Uh, so uh, if he hadn't left, I'd be dead. But I'm not. Here I am. And so that's one dream that, thank God, it didn't come true. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah. Um, and then I started a, a TV show on CBS. How did you get into that? Um, I think the people don't realize that if you really want to do something, you can. Okay. So you just, you just did it. No, you that's pretty much what happened. I, uh, <laughs> you, 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 I had no background. I have no training. I have no mm -hmm. idea. I didn't know what tell, I didn't know what a camera was, but I had uh, graduated from Michigan, a very idealistic teacher. I mean, I remember one of the books was called new ways of discipline. You know, <laughs> when I was young, they used to smack you. But our new yeah. ways was reflecting. I don't know whether you know the Rogers technique. Uh, That's maybe like the patient, what the patient says. You reflect. Oh, so when a yes. kid would, would throw a, a wet washcloth at another kid, you would say, ah, oh, Ronald, you didn't mean to do that, did you? And Ronald would say, yes, I certainly did. And you want to kill him. But uh, you reflect. You reflect. And you say, yes, you certainly did. Yes, I certainly did. Yeah, you just you keep going. yeah. You reflect what they say. It's a Roger. There's new ways of discipline. I remember that. Um, and what I remember most about it is we we were studying new ways of discipline. And at the beginning of the the the, the course, there was a woman there that was pregnant, and for the and and all the way through, she was getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> and on our last day, which was our exam, she wasn't there because she was giving birth. Unlucky. Uh, and I don't know what she did with the kid, but I know she didn't hit him because. <laughs> that was what we learned. She learned the whole course. Well, that's... she reflected. She reflected its feelings when it was born. Ah! Yeah, like uh, that's what happened. Um, so I was very idealistic about everything. So I had seen. Oh, and then by the time I started Romper Room, I had a master's degree in education. Because after my first divorce, I was at a loss, and whenever I'm at a loss, I go to school. So I—that's a pretty uh, good way of coping with that. It, it's wonderful. Yeah. And it's really the best way because you don't have time to feel sorry for yourself. You just got to work. You go, And it's work. I mean, you've got things you got to do. So I had a master's degree in creative arts for children. And I saw Romper Room, which is a big program at that time. And it, it violated everything I had learned in school. Mm. So I, a, a CBS had just started in Toledo. It was WTOL TV. And I was on my lunch hour because I was working for my father. I was a secretary at that time. And I um, walked by the brand new station and I thought, you know, I'm going to tell them how lousy that show is. <laughs> I cannot believe I did this. I thought, no, I'm going to tell them it's really a piece of crap and they should know about it. 
<laughs> for destroying the minds of our children in Toledo, Ohio. But I walked in and I mean, he was busy organizing the station. It was like the first week. Oh, wow. And I, and I just walked in and the girl at the front desk said, would you have an appointment? And I said, no, no, I just would like to talk to the manager. And I, it worked. It would never work now. No. Yeah. That's one and of those his things. The door was open. So I just walked in and I said, oh, hi. <laughs> and this guy's in the midst of trying to balance a budget for a TV station and TV was brand new. Well, not brand new, but pretty new then. Mm. Oh, it had been around. I know it had been around because when I was in grade school, we had a TV. So, but this was our own station in Toledo and it was CBS. So I, I said to him, oh, I just saw Romper Room. So now he's interested. It's one of his programs. Mm. So how'd you like it? <laughs> I said, oh, I said, it's a piece of trash. <laughs> and and that, now he's mad because in the first place, I, I interrupted him and, this, and I wasn't very nice. So he said, uh, well, if you think, and he's just talking. He said, well, if you think you can do better, you can do it. And I said, I bet I can. <laughs> and I got the program. He said, he said okay, if you can find us. And then he was working on budgeting and they do public service programs where he had to get people to do programs for nothing. Okay. So he said to me, if you can get a sponsor, I'll give you a program. Okay. And I said, okay. And I got a how, sponsor. How did you do that? Did you just, so that was easy. I called the Toledo art museum. You have to realize what a big deal CBS was to Toledo, Ohio. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, the Toledo Art Museum, and I knew the principal of the, the, the school, the art school. Mm. I said, how would you like to be on CBS? <laughs> and his name was Charlie Gunther. He said, oh my God, yes. And that was, he didn't ask me what the program was going to be. He asked me, done. And so I called up this guy and I said, well, I've got a sponsor. And he said, who? You know, thinking it was going to be Joe Schmertz at the, at the corner shoe shop. And I said, well, it's the Toledo Art Museum, which is a huge thing in Toledo. Big deal, yeah. Oh, it's a really big deal uh, in Toledo. The, the, the art museum of the zoo, that's all we've got. And Libby Glass. <laughs> At CBS. <laughs> At CBS now. Yeah. And, um, uh, and, and so he thought, you know, that's a hell of a big sponsor. Yeah. So he said, uh, okay. And he gave me a director. And I remember the director, but do not remember his name. How does that and work? Do you just then write a show and the director makes it happen? No, you well, what happened? It, it was a pretty rocky road because I had never <laughs> written a TV show. I didn't know right. what the hell I was talking about. But my idea was, um, with absolutely no background in this at all, my idea was to do creative dramatics. In other words, read a story to the children. I was going to have live children on, on the air. And uh, I would get them for my class. And then I was going to read them a story, and then they were going to act it out. Okay. I had never done creative dramatics. And by the way, there's an art and anyone that's listening, don't you do it unless you read up on it because I messed it up something terrible. But anyway, <laughs> I, said, no, I thought, well, I'll do it and they'll act it out. And of course it didn't happen that way. It was right. A, right. It was a disaster. But anyway, I, um, and then that was the first half, the first 15 minutes and then it was half an hour. And then the second 15 minutes, we did an art project related because the Toledo Art Museum was, was sponsoring us. Right. An art project related to the story. Okay. And it was, um, 
was a pretty lousy program, but it went on for two <laughs> two years. Was it better than before? It was better than rapper room. There you go. <laughs> Progress. Progress. But but if you could do it for two years, that's like, I mean, who can just show say that they walked into CBS and got a show and made a show for two years? That's pretty nuts. You'd be amazed when I look back at the things that I've done that just are impossible. Uh, and I'm not particularly a miracle worker. And I don't have uh, the Jewish word is chutzpah. I don't have a lot of guts. I don't. I'm very charismatic, though. Well, now, but not then. I don't know. Well, sometimes that's all you need to, to get something I just, rolling. When I believe something, I just believe it so completely. And I was appalled at this romper. Because I had just spent a year learning that everything they were doing was counterproductive for children. Yeah. It was patronizing. It was talking down to them. It was, it was not elevating their minds or enriching them. So and at least your contribution, you helped out with that instead of demining them. I don't know what happened after I left. I think they just stopped it because then I married again. That's what happened. I married. Okay. And, uh, and I left town <laughs> and, and, and he was gay. That's an interesting story <laughs> because it was 1959 and I don't know how good you are with your history, but 1959, Medium. it was illegal to be gay. Right. I, I mean, yeah. That was extremely illegal. you were either uh, imprisoned or sent to a hospital okay mm -hmm. so did you know when you got married no so no. i was the cover i was the you were the beard i was the beard but i i, I guess but uh, uh and he was very masculine seeming sure i mean well, if it's really illegal not. you'd have to i mean i lived in san francisco and i know uh gay men uh very well and 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 very few of them are macho very few at least that i knew mm. they're more uh neutral they're but more... if your life depends on it or you're not being sent to prison depends yeah, it on it could then... be, it could be because they're more neutral they're not this frou frou tippy tippy business that people think they're just normal human beings but yeah not... this guy was was there was something very very testosterone about him Mm -hmm. but it sure didn't um didn't help me <laughs> anyway so we were married for three months because he found out he couldn't cut it and yeah. um he sent me home oh. so uh i became a librarian okay that's another one where i had absolutely no background in library Next job change nothing but i loved books and i didn't want to go back to teaching so i called the toledo public library <laughs> again I said, I really, I have a master's degree in creative arts for children and I, and I need a job. Mm -hmm. and they said, well, you can be a children's librarian. So that's what I was. All right. And then Did I you went, enjoy that? Yeah, but no, I, I <laughs> love the books. No, no, I was, I was schlepping books. I was, I was oh, that's all, all you do is shelve books and working. And then we had the Dewey Decimal System. So you sit yeah. and do the cards. And I mean, there was hardly, I did get to do story time. I got to tell stories, but I, but I loved, worked for a lady whose name was Bunny. <laughs> Bunny. Uh, she was a nice lady, but Jesus, what a name. Bunny. Um, anyway, no, I didn't like it. And then I became children's librarian in Bloomington, Indiana. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and um, I actually liked that one. 
But then they ran out of money and I lost the job and I came back. I'm trying to think what happened then. Um, <laughs> the hours were nine to nine, Oof. seven days a week. Damn. So, uh, my friend called me up and said, let's meet for lunch. And I looked at my calendar and said, I don't have any lunch hours available for the next Ever. Oh and so I applied to Stanford University. And I decided I didn't want to do, I didn't want to teach. I knew that. Um, mm. But I always wanted to write. But by this time, with two husbands under my belt, I was pretty sure I was going to have to support myself. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, this is a lot more traumatic than what it sounds like. I was, uh, I was um, a defeated woman. Um, but I decided, well, I better, I can't just major in creative writing, which is what I should have done in the first place, mm. uh, all the way back. I can't just do that. Uh, I have to do, but how can I make my writing pay? Yeah, because it is hard when you start out to, to make a living from writing. That's, that's kind of a You know, a, that's a right. Thing. So mm. I majored in journalism, but remember the timing, it was 1960. So television was beginning to take over the written. Mm. So there weren't that many jobs in uh, newspapers. So <laughs> I see, I see. Anyway, I graduated from Stanford with honors. I graduated all Oh, congrats. <laughs> and I also graduated in uh, uh, 10 months earlier than, than they said I would. I accelerated. Wow. I was terrified. I was terrified. I had to support myself. And I didn't have any money. I didn't But... have any money from the first marriage. Oh, and so you I... sped through it so that you could make a living? That's right. Hmm. I had, a, I, and I paid for my education. Yeah. Um, I was have terrified. I was absolutely terrified. I don't think I've ever worked so hard as I worked those 14 months at Stanford. Wow. But I knew, which by the way, isn't true. I knew that everything depended on like getting a really good job when I got out. And mm -hmm. of course I didn't get one. So I, what happened? I, well, because they didn't hire 30 year old women and they especially didn't put them in them. Um, I had too many degrees. Oh, oh, you're overqualified. That's right. Because <sighs> th what they would have hired me for is to be a gopher. Do you know what that is? Just run no. around bringing everybody pens and pencils. And coffee. But they couldn't, they couldn't do that because I had a double master's degree. Yeah, you bet. I, I was with honors. I was the top of class in all, all three universities. So all of that work and stress and, and then you're too qualified. And, and it defeated me. It was, a, and I was a woman. They were sure I was going to get pregnant, which is interesting since I'm the last one was a gay one. And I had, <laughs> wasn't going to happen. Um, she'll just get pregnant and, and she'll oh, marry. so someone. frustrating. I was 30. Uh, I got the degree the year after Kennedy was assassinated. So it was a, a really gorgeous experience because I was studying journalism while Kennedy was being assassinated. Yeah, that must have really oh God, it was so interesting. impacted that. And Do I you have like a specific that. memory about, about that event? I remember very, I, watched, I didn't watch it because I didn't have television. They talk mm. about blood on the pink suit um, but I, that Jackie Kennedy wore. But I, I listened to the whole thing on the classical music station. Oh, wow. But, um, but at that time, so most of my reporting classes were centering on political reporting mm -hmm. and truth and reporting, which right now, <laughs> I've actually done a blog about it. Right now, it's huge, uh, the problem, because everybody says fake oh, yeah. news. And I had an instructor, his name was uh, Dr. William Rivers, who, by the way, which would interest you, is he was the first successful kidney transplant in America. Wow, that look at that. Rivers. 
his sister gave him his kidney. Anyway, he, um, he was talking about selective perception. And mm -hmm. I've seen it when I edited this book that I have now. As I've been through it, I sent it in. It was originally supposed to be published uh, December 19th. So I sent it in and had an editor and thought I got rid of all the mistakes. Then <laughs> when they withdrew. I, you know, I don't have a lot of good luck. They withdrew two days before publication. So anyway, so he sent me oh. the text. And the idea was I would self-publish, which I now have. Okay. That was six months ago. It was December 19th. Yeah, it's, I imagine it's but a lot of work. When I, but the point was, it shouldn't have been. That thing mm. should have been ready. But it's a yeah. perception. When I read it through that second time, I said, God, I've got a chapter in the wrong place. Mm -hmm. There's repetition. Missed it all. And then, because I had this boy helping me who insisted that I read it the second time, I said, no, no, I got it all out. That's fine. There was, but I mean, huge swaths of it that had to be moved because you you read it and you think you're concentrating, but you're not seeing the bigger picture. But anyway, so Dr. Yeah. River was talking about selective perception and he uh, interviewed Nixon. And do you know who Richard Nixon was? Yes. Yeah. And you remember it was Watergate. Watergate. And he said, I taped the conversation. He said, but I knew what the guy was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, everyone asked him the same questions and he has prepared that's responses, right, that's I'm right. sure. So he wrote up the article and then and then he thought, you know, I really ought to listen just to be sure mm -hmm. he'd gotten it all wrong. Yeah, I guess if you go in there and you're expecting something, then that's what you're going to hear. That's right. Hmm. And Dr. Rivers is very, so this business with fake news, it isn't fake news. It's that You're just in your own echo chamber. And so they think, ah, they're lying. No, they're not. Do you know Robert Burns, or would the gift, the gift he gives us to see ourselves as others see us? He's a poet. It's got Yeah, it's true. Uh, we don't see ourselves. It took me years to realize that I am an extremely flawed human being, as are we all. And there comes a time. Of course. And I think it happened to me when I was about 60, where I said to myself, well, this is the package, and you're going to deal with it. You have a funny perception of what of right and wrong. Yeah. You have a, uh, a you get angry at crazy things. If I see somebody hitting a child, I want to kill him. And you know the kid could have been a serial killer. The kid could have just knifed his dog or something. I don't care. I I'm having I have a an illogical sense of justice. I mean that's a normal reaction. Well, you, that's because you you aren't a mother. I think that's pretty logical. When you're a mother, you'll understand, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, not yet, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm not a mother yeah. either. But, I mean, I have a very very warped sense of justice, but it's also very intense. Um, the George Floyd thing mm -hmm. absolutely appalled me. Just, I mean, to the point of almost throwing up, seeing okay. that, because for me, it's seeing it again. Yeah, because it's, it's like it, nothing has changed. It's not just that. It's that someone's saying, oh, look at this. That happens. That's not even unusual. It was happening every day all over the United States. Every no, day. And people don't get this. This is, uh, you know, I get, uh, I told you I have an inflated sense of justice. I get so angry every single day. And it's do you okay. think it's just black people? And people say, no, it's worse for black people. When it happens to you, it's just as bad, whether you're black, aging, a policeman will see an old, especially an old woman driving 
and they've got to have, they have a quota for tickets in California, they'll pick her up because they know that when she goes in front of the judge to say, mm -hmm. I didn't do it, the judge will think she doesn't know what she's talking about. It's, 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 and, but you mm -hmm. see, one of the best things, I have a very liberal friend. I absolutely adore him. And he is so liberal. I, I, I mean, he's so far to the left, he's off the cliff. But he says, he, he, we talked about this dismantling the police department. And what he said made such sense. He said, instead of making one guy with a gun in his pocket go out and handle a, a domestic abuse, robbery in the corner shop, traffic violations, kids throwing mud at a window, one guy have different departments. Exactly. And those people are trained. Mental health, counseling, Mental health. traffic can be their own thing. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. And that made eminent sense to me. Absolutely. I, I agree with that. And maybe don't give the police tanks. Like, maybe. Just a suggestion. Oh, yes. What's this business with with it being uh, being uh, just a regular a regular a technique yeah, it's, to, to lean on someone's it's a throat? Joke. What kind of? Oh, and I happen mm -hmm. I happen because uh, I lived in California for thirty years, and I happen to absolutely despise the police. To me, they're all a bunch of young men who didn't uh, who are mad at their mothers. I mean, the culture is really to a lot of them. I mean, obviously, they are always different people, but. A lot of them is like, you're a big macho and... That's right. But what's happened is we've made them that way. And unless we take responsibility we for it. Absolutely. It's societal problems. Uh, and I remember this one lovely kid uh, was in the police department and he was so appalled by the attitudes they instill in them that he quit. Yeah. yeah. And, and he said, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And I thought, good for you, but what courage that is. Anyway, I think we're... Yeah. We've diverted. Yeah, off, we uh, went on a tangent. Yeah, we did get to our first <laughs> question. It's okay. It's okay. Um, where were we at? I guess I couldn't get a job. I'm going to move to San Francisco, and I'm going to look for a job there. And so then I did what I tried for public relations, which I would have been lousy at. It, but something. it didn't work. Okay. And I was there for six months, and then I thought, well, the center of the uh, communication, because remember how. What, what I'm not getting across to you is how terribly frightened I was. Yeah, because you were worried about not being able to support yourself. That's right. And I had no one. People think, oh, she's got a mother, she's got a father, she's got a sister, she's got a partner. Nothing. Mm. My parents were done with me. Done. Because you were like so radical in their eyes. That's very, yes. Mm. And, you know, the nutty one. <laughs> and, um, my, and my sister, so I, I was getting no help. Yeah, I could have if I would have asked. Yeah, and, but and eventually I did. But you're getting it. But thirty years old, two divorces. I'd already taken advantage, of, and I didn't like them. And yeah. I don't taken advantage of them enough. It was so distasteful to me. So mm -hmm. I was terrified, and I was also running out of money. So I took what money I had left, and I moved from San Francisco after six months uh, to New York. And I lived right next door to the United Nations building. Oh, very nice. Big apartment building. And it was affordable at that time because I don't know how else I did it. And I tried to find a job and I, 
and afternoons, I used to go to afternoon matinees and oh, try to find a job here. Yeah. Very nice. Uh, yeah, because you could afford afternoon matinees. Remember, this was 1964, mm. end of 64, beginning of 65. And I couldn't find a job. And I, and I applied to everything and everywhere. And finally, I had a nervous breakdown. And no. I did what I didn't want to do. I called my father and mm. I said, this is it. I'm, I can't live. And he came and collected me and he brought me home and he said, well, you can't stay at the house, which by the way, I didn't want to anyway. Yeah. And I had no money. I cannot figure when I tell this story, what the hell I was doing because by that time, the alimony that the gay guy was paying me stopped. He paid me $125 a month mm -hmm. for two years. So it had stopped. Because 14 months at Stanford, six months in San Francisco, I was probably getting the tail end of it in New York. Okay. So my father was a millionaire and I had nothing. And I, trying to think how I, I, I evidently am much more resourceful than I think. <laughs> yeah. But I tried immediately. I think I spent maybe a night in my parents' home uh, for charity housing. And I, and I got it because I had nothing. Yeah. And, um, I got it immediately. But I want to tell you, I've never had a flat as lovely as that one. Really? Oh, pretty, oh. And do not think that charity housing is a bunch of slobs with crap all over everything. This was an immaculate building. Hmm. I lived across the hall from a guy named Ernie with emphysema. And I still smoked. <laughs> I had the best neighbors in the world. I had, yeah. they let me do the garden outside the window. And then while I was there, and you have to understand the emotional situation there, I invested everything in this job that was going to make me famous. Yeah, and then <laughs> it didn't pan out. It certainly didn't. And I mean, and that was not without trying. Yeah, and you tried and, like really hard. But you also have to realize what your self-image is by that time. Yeah, well, you probably think I, I can't do anything right because no one wants to hire me. It's so sad that we, we associate, you know, working a job to our self-image. I'd like to talk about that a lot, too. Why do we think we have to work? Uh, capitalism. <laughs> Which I hate. Right. Uh, you've got to read Adrian Rich. Okay. Adrian Rich, her poetry, it's lesbian poetry, and it doesn't turn me on. <laughs> but uh, although uh, uh, after what I've been through, something should, but it doesn't. But anyway, um, her essays will grab you and just, oh, and you know, capitalism is how my father made his money. Mm -hmm. uh, and I thought, oh, I never realized I'm sitting there working for, and especially me, because I was high, I always worked for below, below minimum wage. So I'm working. Minimum, below minimum wage, killing myself. So some guy can be sitting in his penthouse with his 50 mistresses. And you saw both life. ends of the spectrum since your family was. I, never, until, I, I mean, look how old I was when I realized that I was 80, I'm 86. I was 80, it was this year. I was 86 when I figured this out. Mm -hmm. How could I have lived through all this and been a victim of it mm -hmm. and never realized it? So anyway, so. I really wanted a job. Um, and I started looking. Um, I, so I decided, okay, <laughs> with all these degrees, I must be able to teach. Yeah. 
even so though wanted, you didn't want to teach. Yeah, but you have to realize what my self-image was, which you really can't, because you don't think it's the society that's rejecting you. No, you it's you. You're not good enough. Yeah, if you get enough rejections, it's hard to think you're great if no one wants to hire you. I mean, so many people have been there, even if it's just for six months looking for a job. And I'm sure right now so many people are out of a job just out of an unfortunate situation. What did I say? Applying for jobs is like standing nude on the auction block. <laughs> yeah. Remember, we didn't have computers. You had to go to them and hear them say, no, we don't want you. Yeah. You had to pay postage to send your resume and your... That must hurt to buy those stamps just to be they're going to say no. <laughs> it was it was so uh, it was a, a, a nightmare. Um, but anyway, so I went to Toledo University, which is a stinko university. <laughs> but I got my second master's there, my master's in education. there. I figured, well, I've got a master's from Stanford University. These professors couldn't even get into Stanford University. And I know I'm right. They couldn't have. They were so stupid. But anyway, so and the guy <laughs> said to me, oh, but you don't have a Ph.D. So I said, no, I guess I don't. Subtext, you're the woman. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm thinking, one more. Where am I supposed to get the money to get a PhD? Yeah, and then when you're going to have a PhD, they're going to say, oh, but you're overqualified. Oh, but you're so overqualified, uh... yeah. So as is, uh, as, as it is with women, I walked out of the university, and I still remember this, and there was a beautiful, Toledo was very pretty. It really, except in the industrial part, really pretty manicured lawns, lots of gorgeous foliage. It's gorgeous. And as I walked down this beautiful garden path to the community and technical college, and I thought, you know, I better go to the bathroom before I go drive home. Mm -hmm. So I stopped to go to the bathroom and this woman who still is in touch with me, <laughs> whose name is Susan Bannister. And she was this very prim, very, I, I'm Jewish, and this is very non-Jewish. Blonde curls, horn rim, harlequin glasses. Oh, yeah. Very thin, little pursed lips. Little dress. Yeah, no, she was wearing a dress. Of course she was. Little teeny perky nose. You know, mine is, of course, out there. <laughs> no. Uh, and she looks up at me. I'm just coming out of the, the ladies' room. And don't ask why something about me must have said something to Susan. She said to me, so why are you here? And I thought, well, you know, that isn't the dumbest question I've ever heard. I have to go to the toilet. To pee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you mean? Why am I here? She said, no, that isn't what I mean. Why are you in this building? And I said, well, because I'm, this reminds me of the CBS story. Yeah. I said, well, because I'm, <laughs> I said, I'm looking, I'm looking for a teaching job. And she said, we always need teachers at Comtech. There you go. I got the job that afternoon. Oh, man. She called the dean. And the dean, uh, you can't see me, honey, because I'm sitting down. I'm four foot ten. Okay. I'm very little. And then I was five foot two. This little man comes out who was five foot two. <laughs> and he said to me, and I didn't get what he meant. He's, he's married. Mm. Because he had to go back to his wife or something. So I said, oh, do you have children? He said, no, but we try every night. <laughs> and then he chuckled. And I said, nice. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea what that man was saying to me. Oh, nice. That's great. <laughs> oh, so I might have said something like, what a shame. You still haven't gotten one. You know? <laughs> no, no, 
idea. Good I luck. Mean, you have to know how innocent I am. When I started comedy, oh, oh for I never knew. You know, and these I'm listening to other people talk about comedy. They're talking about blowjobs. <laughs> I'm thinking. I'm telling you. I'm thinking that's that's balloons. That's balloons. <laughs> but that's amazing. I, oh, I and I mean, people did not understand how innocent, because I'm good at telling jokes, how innocent I, I still am. And I remember when I first started comedy, this little girl, I believe her name was Sandy. She used to come and sit next to me and tell me what the words meant. <laughs> By the way. Because I had to say, that is a joke. <laughs> I would look at her and say, really? She'd say, yeah, you're missing the next joke. You know? Anyway, so where were we? So, ah, oh, you have a master's degree from Stanford University. My God, he said, but we can't, and I've heard this before, we can't hire you full time, mm-hmm. but we'll put you on part time. I worked for them for four years, part time, full time, full time work. Yeah. On a Paid part time. Mm-hmm. Been there. Okay? No, no benefits, no. nothing. Which, of course, later, that's what happened because it didn't count for anything. It was part time. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think it was the fourth year. They still hadn't hired me, but Ohio passed a law that you cannot pay anyone with that many advanced degrees yeah, below minimum wage. They have to have a certain. That's right, and you have to pay them their back salary. And are you ready for this? Ooh. You will hate me. The dean called me up, and he said, "He said if we give you the money we owe you, you'll bankrupt the system." another English teacher Hmm. will not be able to support his children guess what I said okay yeah that's what I did I mean so I never got the raise yeah I never got the raise I worked for them then they transferred me to full-time I was only full-time for I think a year Mm -hmm. and then um uh, oh in the meantime I'm still fighting this eating disorder I'm so busy it's not enough that I'm fighting society and all this. I'm still fighting the city. Yeah. Uh, and I had it pretty much under control. But um, by yourself or did you go to therapy? By myself. Wow. Girls in those days didn't go to psychiatrists unless they were absolutely. Was it very or more widespread eating disorders at the time because of no, like body no. image? No. Nobody knew what it was. Right. I guess it wasn't really diagnosed. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Uh, when I was, I had it well, during the first marriage, uh, I went to a doctor and, and, and I had anorexia and bulimia. And I think I said to him something like, I have just eaten seven hamburgers, four chickens and six quarts of milk. I think something's wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> and he's looking at me and, and you have to understand it, the anorexia was more prominent than the bulimia. Right. So I was emaciated. So he's like, huh. So he's looking, I wonder where it went. <laughs> And you know, yeah, he probably said to me, are you shitting, Eliza? No, I'm constipated all the time. Because mm. <laughs> anorexics are, by the way. We're all, I, I was shocked when I read, you always think you're the only one. Mm-hmm. Anorexics are always constipated. I don't know why, but we always are. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so I told him about the, the cycle. Yeah. And he said, there's a name for what you got. And I said, yeah, crazy. Mm. He said, no. <laughs> he said, no. <laughs> I'll never forget this. I'll never forget this, Nikki. He said to me, it's called anorexia nervosa. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to go out now and I want you to get a hamburger and French fries. And I am telling you, nothing will happen. 
So he and thinks was, that you were just making it up. And I was too afraid to do it. But anyway, so now we're back to, I have just finally started working full time at the University of Toledo. Mm. I need to tell you, I don't want any tears for me. I loved college teaching. I loved it. I taught writing. I taught English literature, which you love. I mean, I read every book in the in the in the Kent Public Library before <laughs> I was ten. I got a special I got a special special permission to go down to the main library. Wow! I've been reading since I was two. To two, I've been reading. Um, the reason I've been reading since I was two is that my mother could not stand changing my diaper. And she literally said to me when I was about six months old, I'm not doing this anymore. Sit there until you crap. And I did, but she put me there with a book. And then you read. <laughs> That's it. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> By two. Thanks, Mom. I could read. I've never had any problem with reading. Wow. Everybody else was having problems with but I wish she would have done it with, with, with an abacus or something, because I can't add worship. <laughs> I'm oh the my, same. I can, I can I read? And I can read anything. Anyway, so, uh, so then by that time, I was 36. And I fully believe, and by the way, this is a Lynn Ruth diagnosis. Uh, doctors have disagreed with me. Mm. They've said no. But I believe that what I did is the, the thought of being crazy was so abhorrent to me mm -hmm. that I internalized the anorexia because what happened is I stopped digesting. And then I was turned down for tenure. Yeah. Because the guy I protected voted against uh, me. So at course. that point, I was beating my head and again in a profession I didn't want to be in. I still wanted to write. I was still sending out, I was still sending out resumes. Nothing. So during this whole time, oh, you were God, still yeah, trying to get to oh, write. No, I've got this dream. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Uh, and I said, and, and, um, and just so much failure, no relationship. <sighs> no, I'm dying to meet anyone. And, and <laughs> I'm so sorry, men men i know this is a gross generalization but the men that were interested in me were either so fucking stupid <laughs> or else they they were gross yeah you know, if they were really smart uh, because really smart men that have been that, that have been rejected by says are gross <laughs> so I'm not going to comment, but I know what you're yeah, talking about. <laughs> I'm sure it's changed. Uh, I'd be surprised. Oh, I'm, I'm, getting the, I'm getting the hint that it hasn't, but oh, and I thought, <laughs> no, because I, you people, and I think it's good, do not equate sex with love. We do. Yeah, not necessarily. But that's good. That's fine. Don't change. That's good. Just be sure to... Uh, use protection but I yeah everyone wear protection we and I, I never saw a condom until I started singing about it we never used them well yeah because it, until like the AIDS pandemic it wasn't right. a thing that's right and I did not do recreational sex I just simply did not do it you don't uh, what is it we're walking we're the walking wounded the women from the 50s the women from the 40s oh. and 50s are the walking wounded what does that mean we belong to our husbands we um i want to tell you this hmm. i because i because because this is 
I have such a different take on this that it's almost impossible to believe it's the same woman. <laughs> when I was married, I said, if Tommy cheats on me, by the way, I don't believe in marriage. <laughs> I wonder why. Mm, I wonder. If Tommy cheats on me, it's, it's my fault. Uh-huh. How do you like that one? But that's what they taught I you to think. I do not believe you can cheat on someone. I do not believe in, 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 in locking yourself into a marriage. Mm -hmm. I do not believe that, um, that women are responsible for good sex. That's absolutely no. ridiculous. And I, I do not believe any of that. That's good. how I believe them. Yeah, well, I mean, if if you grew up and every day told you, you know, you have to take care of your husband, and if you do it wrong, he's going to leave you, then that's right. You know, what else and are remember, you supposed to think? It's not just that, honey. It's that everybody that were my friends were doing that. Yeah. They married them, yeah. and, and they shut up and took it. Because that's what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I believe, and this is a Lynn Ruth diagnosis, and I want to tell you the finest doctors in the country told me no. I, I mean, men on. have a history of not believing women's sicknesses, so I'm going to... Yes, that's <laughs> another thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we can get into that with menopause. I'm so angry about that, but anyways. Uh, oh, <laughs> medicating menopause, which is the most natural thing. Even what ovarian cancer is, is extremely, like, mistreated. Yes. Yeah. Oh, God, it's awful. Well, anyway, so with this, I stopped digesting food. Hmm. And that was... Food went right through me. Which, of course, mm. solved the constipation problem. I was well. just all over the place. <laughs> I mean, I could be standing there doing dishes, and then when I would look, there'd be a load on the floor. It Man. just went right through me. Um, I stopped digesting food. They could never find out why. They could not find out why. I just, the thing that makes sense to me, because I obviously have a very strong mind, mm. and I, is that I internalize the anorexia because... I refuse to allow myself to not eat. I okay. weighed my food. It almost killed me because you have to realize that when I weighed one pound, I thought I was fat. But yeah. I eight ounces, that's a hell of a lot of protein at a meal, mm -hmm. at, at, at dinner, not at lunch, thank God. I think I ate something normal for lunch. But at dinner, I would weigh the amount of meat. I was eating red meat, which I wouldn't touch right now, but I was eating, you know, I mean, we change. We change a lot. Mm. Oh, yeah. But uh, I, so I would not allow myself to have the anorexia that my body wanted because my body wanted to die. Yeah. yeah. And so I believe that I, I internalized it. But they, I became a patient at the National Institutes of Health. And you mm -hmm. need to look it up to realize how absolutely unusual this is. Okay. Because of the anorexia, because of all this, I had osteoporosis. Yeah, and that's people, usually linked. Obviously, when I started having these bowel problems, which is full of funny stories, <laughs> they gave me a um, they gave me a medication which was supposed to stop the peristalsis in my yeah oh your mm -hmm. biologist love it yeah <laughs> and <laughs> and remember how it was doing I I would eat and I had fine appetite but it Straight would go through. really right through me and I would not even feel like, you know. That's crazy. I'm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, like totally not normal, obviously. Yeah, so I'm sitting on the can and I'm calling the doctor. I've just taken loads of it. I said, it's not working. Yeah. He said, it always works. Yeah, I don't care what <laughs> you say. It's not working. <laughs> Listen to this. <laughs> I, did. I did. And somebody did a joke about that later. <laughs> where he calls the 
he calls, he's in a hotel and he calls the chef and he says, that meal was terrible. Here and this. <laughs> he says, I did that. But For I, real? I, I said, listen to this. Oh, because we're just pouring. And then, so I had osteoporosis. So they thought that was the cause, which doesn't make any sense at all. That's one and one makes 73. It doesn't <laughs> make any sense. Your bones are disintegrating. That's why you 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 aren't digesting food. It's vice versa. Your bones are disintegrating because you're not getting enough nutrients. I mean, yeah, well, that might be. So anyway, so they they were doing a pioneer study on calcium infusions, and the mm. guy's name was Frederick Barter. Cool. Um, and and I'm reading an article. In, it's another one of these crazy stories. I'm reading an yes. article in Time Magazine while I'm waiting for the X-rays. Mm-hmm. And I probably was sitting on the can while I was doing it because it was just pouring <laughs> out of me. Um, as I recall, it was in a waiting room, but I, knowing my history, it probably was, anyway, so never read Time Magazine. My mm-hmm. news, my news magazine was Newsweek and I'm, and I'm reading Time Magazine and it says Dr. Frederick Barter is, is doing a study on young women. I was 36, young women who have osteoporosis. Uh, why not me? I did it at CBS. I came home and wrote a, wrote a letter. <laughs> Yeah, no idea. You have to go through it. Do you know what? Uh, all right, so you know you can't just get in there. No, yeah, it's so much that. bureaucracy. I did. So I wrote. You must have had like a uh, terribly said, but in medical terms, an exceptional case. Yeah, right. Well, no, I, he couldn't find young women that knew they had osteoporosis right. because they weren't doing bone scans then. Yeah, no, they. Yeah, and it's a there. hidden. So I wrote him, and I said. They just took an X-ray of my bones and told me they didn't see anything. Mm-hmm. And I and I said I, I don't want to spend the rest of my life in a wheelchair. And I remember saying that, saying, "Yeah, very truly yours." That's how we said it. Then <laughs> I got an answer by return mail. He said, "Have your doctor send the X-rays." Wow. What and does they, that mean by return mail? Like really quick? Oh, next day. Wow. Okay. And he got it, Washington D.C. I got the letter. He wrote the letter immediately. I got Sends it, it straight letter. back. Okay. And evidently, badge of honor to get a patient in in, NIH. Yeah. Wow, I didn't know this. (laughs) So I called him up and I said, listen, would you mind sending my my x-rays to to this doctor? And and he said, no, of course. (laughs) So he did. And one week later, I was accepted. Great. And I found out they would, do you know what a metabolic diet is? Um, Anybody tell you what that is? Go ahead and explain it. It's uh, you're on. You eat the same thing. They weigh it, come going in and coming out. Okay. For six weeks. I've done that to sheep. <laughs> they did it to me. Okay. Um, and uh, so it turned out that I have to be there for six weeks, and I was teaching, and mm. you heard how precarious my position was there. Yeah. And I think I had just begun full time. Uh oh. Mm. So um, I I said I can't do it. That was in November. And then, and that was it. Then the next month, the dean called me and said, you will refuse tenure. Mm. So I wrote Dr. Barter and said, I couldn't, there was no way I could teach anymore. Yeah. I, by the way, I never missed a day of teaching. Uh, we had the Christmas break is what happened. That was, mm. I went to class every day and spent most of the time in the ladies room. I said, mm. all right, write your essay, boom. You know? <laughs> it, was, it was really a Dedication. Awful. Yeah, that's it, yeah, whoops. Um, but I never missed a day of school. And he, um, anyway, so the dean called me and the dean said to me, you've got to come and protest because it's illegal for the committee 
for your own, he's, he was in the English department to vote against me. And I said to him, listen, I can't get off the toilet long enough to go in. Mm -hmm. And that was when I wrote Dr. Barter. And I said, if you have room for me, I'll come. And I was there in January. I was supposed to be out middle of February and I left in April. They couldn't find anything wrong with me. Wow. I think I was on the sixth floor. But I had a wonderful time while I was there. Well, at least there's that. The, the nurse, her name was Arlene. And she said, if you leave here, you're, you're going to die because oh, no. your bones are so weak, they're not going to be able to support your vital areas. And so I went home and waited to die. Oh, my God. And it wasn't right away. I didn't. Instead, I had, I still can't believe what the relapse was. But for some reason, it was a relapse. In other words, even worse than what was going And I went back again for another two months. Wow. And then that was when it happened. And then my mother, who never believed I was really sick, you had to <sighs> see what I looked like. Yeah. I mean, that's just I, denial it, at that just point. Me pulling my craziness again. Mm -hmm. Crazy Lynn Ruth. But I mean, I, I weighed 55 pounds. Just bones and skin. And it was all bloat. Damn. I was retaining water. So she called me up and she said, you know, you've been gone. It's been seven months. Mm -hmm. And no one has done my garden. And I okay. said, all right. And I went, I, I drove, I was driving Fords at the time. I drove, I don't know how to explain it because you're living in New York. Where she lived was a suburb of Toledo, and where I lived was in by that time was in a trailer court. Mm -hmm. I'm trailer trash, is what I am. <laughs> Congratulations! Yeah, trailer trash. Uh, so it was a good forty miles to get to her place. Okay. So I drove there, and I did her garden, and then I mm. drove back, and I didn't realize how weak I really was. Yeah. So I pulled up behind a cement mixer. And I, I didn't step hard enough on the brake, and I coasted into it. And in those days, the, this was, it was 1969, somewhere in there, mm. uh, cars were made of tin. Yeah, and they're I, just like crumpled. So I, I just coasted into the cement mixer. It jolted. My head hit the steering wheel, and mm -hmm. I thought, thank God it's over. And well, you listened to what it was. I mean, really, thank God it was over. I mean, so, if you're that sick, I can imagine it's. Oh, I was so burden. happy. Um, uh huh. So I'm there with my head resting on the steering wheel, thinking I'm dead. Mm hmm. And the cement mixer pulled away. Didn't even know I was there. <laughs> yeah. And I'm waiting, and I'm thinking, you know, death. You shouldn't be that conscious. And I dream. Yeah. Why am I still thinking about death? Why am I still I'm thinking? Dead? That's exactly right. <laughs> Wait a second. And, and that is exactly, I mean, and, and it was exactly that. Wait a second. <laughs> so I took the arm that I didn't think would still be there. And I opened up the door and I got, this is really true. This is not a joke. People think it's a joke, but this is real. Open up the door and I thought I would fall out. Uh -huh. I got out of the car. Uh -huh. I, and I looked at the front of the car. It was a Valiant. So it wasn't a Ford. It was a Valiant. Okay. And it was, it was smashed. Yeah. And I had a bloody nose. That's it. Yeah. So I said, you know, and I really said this, I said, you may not be much, 
but you're better than anything general. She won't give up. You're better than anything General Motors can make. <laughs> there you go. Okay, but yeah, sorry, we, we, we pulled it out too long, but I wanted to get to the comedian part. So, um, well, that happened when I was 70 and you're only up to 36. Damn. <laughs> so what happened is I got a job, I got a dog and I walked myself back to health. Okay. Walked myself dog. back to health. Um, and it took me nine years. Wow. Well, I'm glad. And then I got a job in Oklahoma City. And that's it. And then, and then I just ended up being a comedian. I, I wanted to write a story when I was 70. I still hadn't gotten that job. Wow. But you wrote, right? when did you write your first book? Oh, I did all that in my 60s. Okay. Um, so. Yeah. So I, when I was 60, I started writing my, I started writing novels. Mm -hmm. That was going to be the new career. Yeah. Okay. I wrote 11 of them. Wow. 11? Never got any of them published. Yeah. Oh my God. Never got any of them published. One week. I think when you listen to this story, you realize how really desperate I was. Mm -hmm. I just never could do anything. Well, you were unlucky. <laughs> Well, I don't know whether I was unlucky or not, but I sure was trying. Anyway, lots of good things happened in between, but I was still determined to get that job. Mm -hmm. The New York Times didn't know what it was missing, and I was going to get that <laughs> fucking job. And so when I was 70, and by that time I had my two television programs on public access TV, and I had... Um, what were those programs? One was Paint with Lynn. I haven't told you that story, but we'll never get done if I tell you that story. <laughs> I'm also an artist. Okay. That happened when when I got the job teaching art appreciation. I became an artist so I could understand how to teach art appreciation. Sure. So can you see all those paintings are mine? Yeah, behind you. Yeah, they're all over. Um, so one was Paint with Lynn, which was a hands-on, very much like Little Playhouse. It was children doing art, okay. but it was awful. No, no. The children, the children would eat the art supplies. No. <laughs> You know, that kid has a crayon up his nose. I mean, it was really <laughs> awful. And and the other one was a book review program, of course. Of course and it was called, books. are you ready for this? Yeah. What's Hot Between the Covers? Nice. That's a great and I title. Asked a mine, I asked a friend of mine a couple of months ago, he said, what was the name of your program? I said, what's hot between the covers? He said, menopausal women. <laughs> I said, I never thought of that. So... So you had your television um, shows. So, but it was, so I had that for 13 years. Wow. I also had a column. I had a column. So you say in, you were always searching for this job, but you, you had a lot of success. I didn't consider any but of it But you didn't success. consider it success to yourself. It was, it was, it was the tiding over till I got that job at the New York Times. <laughs> what was your column about? Uh, it was called Thoughts While Walking the Dog. Oh. Oh, because I also had a million dogs by that time. Okay. I was the dog living there. And it was humor columns. Okay. Um, and then I got one book published called Starving Hearts. And I thought it was a failure because I'd sent it to every publisher in the United States mm -hmm. and in Britain under three titles. Wow. The theory being they never read the thing anyway. Yeah. So I'll send it again. So I sent it three times to every single publisher. Okay. But eventually and, it did get picked up. And I found a man who was a vanity publisher. And he said, um, I said to him, if you've got a good novel, of course I had 11 of them. So if you have a good novel, how do you get it published? He said, you have to know someone. Yep. He was a vanity publisher, but he published mine. There you go. And uh, and then when we got all ready to publish it, he wanted, it was 68. 
he wanted me to um, sign a contract for 10 years where he had all the rights. Mm. And I said, no, mm -hmm. I'm, I'll be dead by the time I'm 78. I'm 86 now, yeah. but dead. So I refused and he was really lovely. He said, well, okay. <laughs> and then at that time I was working for a bookstore for just to be able to take the books home. <laughs> yeah. No money. And she was working for a printer and I didn't know the difference between printing and publishing. Mm. And she printed a hundred copies of the books and they sold out immediately. And I, oh my God. I used that money to publish it properly. It's called Starving Hearts. You can so you published it yourself? Yep. It's beautiful, that book, Starving Hearts. You should, if you're interested in anorexia, if that's what it's about. Oh, okay. That hence the title. I, I will put a link in the uh, show notes. Well, put a link in for getting the last laugh. That's the new book. Okay. Um, getting the last laugh, but underline getting, because there's another one out there. They, there's, there's an illegal one. Oh, when the people okay. said they wouldn't publish, they still published. Sons of bitches. Yeah. These things. So I'll you, you had this comedy, uh, column and then you turned to actual stand up. No, remember, I'm still trying to get the job. Right. <laughs> but I'm 70 by this time. Okay. And I was looking, I was promoting the books. And at mm -hmm. the end, because I also had two thoughts while walking the dog books. Oh, okay. Yeah. From so while I was promoting the books, I, um, at the end. So you're doing the, like a tour? Yeah, I would do tour, book tours. Um, uh, at the end of the book talk, I would tell jokes. I'm really good at telling jokes. And you found out when you were 70. Yeah, this one, I'm 68, <laughs> 69. I'm good at telling jokes. So they would invite me back to tell more jokes. Nobody ever bought the books. Uh. I, mostly, <laughs> I mostly, for anyone that's listening, sold my books on Amazon. Okay. Uh, I, the, the, a relatively small amount, face-to-face uh, -face or at bookstores. Yeah. Well, well, it's the new thing now anyway. But then it wasn't the new thing. But that, right, 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 right. It's about... I've sold 7,000, I think. And when you consider and that there was- no Come on, that's a success. Well, I still wanted, the, I still wasn't getting the job I wanted. So, so anyway, so it's <laughs> I, when I, they asked me to come back to tell jokes and I was running out of jokes. I was surfing the net because by that time you could. Hmm. Huh? And I saw this thing said San Francisco Comedy College. And I thought, huh? That's a rip More off. school. <laughs> well, that is a ripoff. You can't teach someone to be no. funny. You can't. They're right. Fun. No. You're Jewish. You're black. You're funny. Rest of the people, you're not funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's a ripoff, and I am going to expose them. And it's San Francisco, big deal. I'm going to expose them, and I'm going to get into the New York Times because this is a ripoff. Nice. You know how people were doing? They were doing these things where um, they would say, "I tried to live on one dollar a month, which is what they gave the welfare people." And I yeah. ended up losing all my teeth and, and, and two limbs. You know, so, right. Ah, you did that for comedy. I'm going to do that. Yeah. So I wrote, at that time we had message machines. You left a message. So I called the number. Oh, on, on the answering machines. Called yeah. the number. And I said, I would like to write a story about you for two magazines and two newspapers. They weren't the New York Times, but that's what I was writing for at that time. And I said, I got a call back and he said, I just love small Jewish women. Okay. Hello. That's weird. I'm your girl. <laughs> <laughs> and I took the class.
And oh, I God. think we've got to end now because I've got to call Sharon or she'll have a heart, heart attack. Okay. But that was the beginning. And so after that, you just went into stand-up and, and had success. But by that, no, it wasn't a success. And nobody wanted to hire me. Because mm, you're older. You do it for nothing. Ageism. So then I did, I did, I started my own. And if you read the book, that tells you that's what the book is about. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry that we went over time because I have like 500 more questions. Like how, how has it been performing and do you enjoy it? And are you happy with it? I love performing. It's my career. And you said you also do burlesque? Yes. I started that when I was 72. Amazing. How does that, how is the feedback from that? I get standing ovations every time. I bet. <laughs> That's amazing. I found what I love to do. Yeah. But I'm not, you finally found I'm it. I'm not a big name, honey. I'm not a big name. Well, I found you. Yeah. <laughs> so read the book and you'll know what happened. Okay. Is that my, my last question I usually ask people is what is your advice for my generation? Keep at it. Yeah. That seems to be the the thread Stop of your story. Stop complaining. There is no such thing as failure. There mm -hmm. is no such thing as failure. Everything you do is a stepping stone to what you're going to be. And yeah, don't listen to people that don't listen to the Karens of the world. Don't <laughs> listen to people that tell you that what you're doing is wrong or bad. Don't listen because you know what you need to do. You know what's right for you. Have faith in yourself. That's you pretty solid. Don't think that age makes you wise. I'm not wise. I don't have, I don't know anything. You're experienced. I'm experienced. That I am. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. I'm happy. I've had a great time. It's been a great conversation. No, I loved it. So I hope that I, but I don't know whether I'm a granny doing granny stuff because I'm not. I just want unusual life stories. So I feel like we definitely got that. We got that. <laughs> Not that anyone's life story is usual anyways, but. That's right. Uh, I've really enjoyed the, the voyage. Oh, bless your heart. Oh man, Lynn Ruth is so funny. I had to ask a billion questions at the end, but I think this longer episode was totally worth it. If you want to see some pictures of what Lynn Ruth looked like so that you can sort of have an image in your head while you're listening, Uh, there are pictures and details and links to her books and her websites and everything in the show notes of this episode and on the show notes part of my website at storiesyourgrannynevertold.com. Also, you should totally give Lynn Ruth a follow on Instagram because she makes these little clips of just little jokes she tells and she does them with a total deadpan face and they always make me laugh a lot. We are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stories Your Granny Never Told. Please like and subscribe. And also, I would super duper really appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes because it really helps the podcast go up in the charts. Otherwise, you know, just keep, uh, keep staying strong or whatever. Um, and, you know, listen to Lynn Ruth's advice and wear a condom, guys. Okay. Bye. See you next month.